Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, won't you? As we continue here at Emmanuel in the search process for a new rector and pastor, I was struck by the words which emerge from the second reading of Hebrews where Jesus is described as our great high priest. And that's really the model and the heart that we are all seeking, that person who can somehow be that priest who can sympathize and encounter us and know us and love us and pastor us and shepherd us. And it's true as well that in the biblical record we have been made a kingdom of priests. You are priests. You are shepherds. You live in the shelter of each other. And I'm a priest. I'm an ordained priest. And as I think about what it is that is at the heart of the priesthood of all of us, certainly at the heart of what has driven me and motivated me and inspired me through the years. It comes down to this idea that I long for a deep, authentic, and healthy Christian spirituality that enables me and empowers me to be who I really am. That's, all, that's really what it is. It's how do I flourish in this world? And the deepest question that gets me up in the morning, and that has really been a part of every Sunday that I have shared in my priesthood, has been this. How do people change? How do people actually really grow? How do we actually move from where we are on the next stage of our pilgrimage and become more and more the people that we long to be and that God created us to be? How do we really change? Is change possible? Over the years, pastors have become many other things, visionaries, entrepreneurs, CEOs, community organizers, social activists, social media experts. Not all bad, either, because you need those kinds of skills in any organization, in any leadership. So that's part of the deal. Yet there is something, I believe, more ancient and more timeless to priesthood. There's a Latin phrase that's used to describe it, curare animarum. It means a guide for the spiritual journey, the cure of souls, the physician or doctor of the inner life, the souls. We need wisdom for our earthly pilgrimage. We need spiritual guides. We need those who can lead and guide us to those pastures where we can be fed and nourished and deeply grow and be transformed. And that's what's gotten me up in the morning. Yes, I had to have other skills, but if I were to put it right at the heart and the center of what really animates me, that's it. Spiritual formation, spiritual growth, spiritual reality. And this came home to me when I was on my sabbatical in 2014, and I've alluded to this before, and I want to share it with you. My son, John, and his wife, Yana, and our little beautiful four-year-old, Charlotte, we're living in Spain at the time. And John took us on the El Camino de Santiago, the great pilgrimage journey, the way of St. James that goes from the, from the east to the west of Spain, all the way over to the northwest province of Galicia. 
And we were able to travel through northern Spain and see the churches and the cathedrals all along the way that the pilgrims would have walked. And we finally made our way to uh, the city, Santiago de Compostela, where there is this grand and beautiful cathedral, just absolutely stunning. It's just amazing. And as you enter into Santiago de Compostela, you see the pilgrims coming, just hundreds and hundreds of pilgrims coming to the square right before uh, the, the cathedral there. And I was deeply moved by it as I went into the cathedral and saw the statue of St. James, Santiago. And I wrote some words in my journal. I want to share it with you because this ties into what I'm getting at in the gospel lesson for today. Spending time in Santiago de Compostela was a very awakening time for me in the knowledge of the pilgrims of generations and my own pilgrimage of being in that cathedral visiting the tomb of St. James, embracing his statue. What does it all mean? In the end, it reveals the reality of our being spiritual. Spiritual beings seeking, longing, unable to find peace until our souls are at rest in Christ, who is our deepest joy. Even while loving this earth, we are homesick. We're homesick for our heavenly homeland. And I know I'm not alone in longing for more in life. I know you are too. More love, more time, more connection, more justice in the world, more compassion, more vitality of life, more love. We long for these things. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says that God has put eternity into our hearts. That's something that God has done in you and in me. There's an eternal longing. It's gifted to us by the sheer fact of our creation. I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it in his magisterial book, Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that it was made for another world. So let's use that as a backdrop then to this remarkable story we all know so well. It's a powerful, beautiful encounter between this rich young ruler and Jesus. It's in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And I want you to notice, first of all, what I call a dawning awareness. I love this young man because he had the intuitive, implicitly under, implicit understanding that Although he had everything you could imagine and want in life, wealth, accomplishment, achievement, prestige, rank, and rule, although he had all these wonderful things, intuitively he knew it was not enough. Something was missing. Something was created inside of him. This longing, this desire, and it consumed him. And he came to Jesus, and he kneels at Jesus' feet. And he asked the question that most people would have asked in Jesus' day. And the question is this, what must I do, what must I do to secure the life of the age to come, eternal life? What must I do, Jesus? And so Jesus looks at him and says, well, keep the commandments. And he flushes out the commandments before this young man, and I love his response you got to love this young guy. He says, well, I've done all that since my youth. 
Let's be honest, it probably wasn't the case. <laughs> but he was enthusiastic. And we're told that Jesus didn't get angry at him or dismiss him or anything. We're told these incredible words. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Notice the second part of this. Although he had expressed that he was capable and he had done all these things since his youth, he was longing for more. And Jesus looked at him. Notice that. When Jesus gazes at you and at me, which he does, the loving gaze of God, that gaze has nothing on it but love. If you were to stand before God this very moment, what would his face look like? If you were to stand before Jesus, or Jesus was to walk into this church today and look at every one of us, what would be the expression on his face? It would be love, tenderness, deep and profound love. The loving gaze of God who cherishes you and cherishes me in earnestness, in fervor, even in our trying, he loves us. But the look of that love is also transforming. It causes change when Jesus looks at you with love. You can't stay the same. And so Jesus is also the revealer of truth. And he says to this young man, there's just one thing you lack. There's one thing you're missing. One thing, one thing only that is holding you back. I wonder what that one thing might be in our own lives. I wonder what it'd be like to hear Jesus say, Rob, there's just one thing, just one thing you're lacking. And so Jesus shares the truth because Jesus doesn't sugarcoat reality. He, he wants us to enter reality and he says, look, this is the one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have riches and treasure in heaven and come. Come follow me as my disciple. Come follow me as my apprentice. Learn from me. Follow me. Enter into deep and profound friendship and companionship with me. That's the invitation. It's a powerful invitation. Jesus says, the revealer of our souls. So notice, there was a dawning awareness in this young man, and we give him credit for that because he knew there was something missing, just like we do. And secondly, Jesus revealed a profound and powerful loving gaze that sees to the depths of who we are and who we can become. And he tells us there are things that you are lacking. There are things that are holding your back, you, you back. There are attachments that you have placed to penultimate things and you haven't let go to receive all that I long to bring to you. So here's the third piece, and I want you to notice this. When this young man heard what Jesus said, we're told that he walked away grieving, grieving, not just sad, but grieving because he had many possessions. He was trapped. The trap for him was wealth. And so what it may be for us, 
we have to consider. And it comes down to what I reference as the ultimate concern of life. There's a wonderful and brilliant theologian who taught uh, when my dad was in seminary in Boston. His name was Paul Tillich. And he wrote a book called Ultimate Concern. Paul Tillich. My dad loved that book so much that we got a cat and we named the cat Paul Tillich. <laughs> poor cat, poor cat. But anyway, Tillich said that our understanding and relationship with God is indeed our ultimate concern if and when we recognize it is the ultimate, the ultimate longing of our hearts. But we have many penultimate concerns. Jesus wasn't saying that riches are bad or wealth is bad. That's not what he's saying there. And he's not saying that poverty is good, because it isn't. Poverty isn't any more spiritual than having wealth. Jesus is talking about what's ultimate for you. What is ultimate? You see, this young man was trusting in his riches. He wasn't ready to radically trust the love of God. So to follow the way of Jesus, you see, is ultimate reality. God is to be ultimate reality in our lives. There cannot be any other ultimate, and we have to come to that understanding for ourselves. So let me close with this. Go back to what I was talking about in terms of what is it that causes us to change and helps us grow? And my friends, it's paying attention to the longing within your soul. And sometimes we don't even know it's there. There has to be a dawning awareness that, you know, I have everything or could have everything, but it's just not enough. There's something missing. Here's a line from John O'Donohue, the great Celtic poet. He said, Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. May you have the courage to listen to that voice of desire within you that disturbs you when you've settled for something penultimate or settled for something safe. And I love these two lines. May you come to accept your longing as a divine urgency within you and may you know the urgency with which God is longing for you. That's where the grace is. Jesus said, it's hard, but it's not impossible for God. God longs for you, and he is the one who helps us not to find happiness as much as to find freedom to grow and ultimately to reach our homeland. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.